comes to speak to us. Am I on? Okay, cool. Well, good morning. It's good to be here today. I hope I can still say that after this sermon. (laughs) But anyway, let's say a prayer before we uh, go any further. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word that's everlasting, that instructs us and uh, teaches us your ways. Father, I pray that today you'll give us eyes to see and perceive and ears to hear and understand and hearts that are soft and open and responsive to your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we're taking a further look at St. Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, But I think it would probably be a good idea, before we go any further, to let's just pick out some key verses from the previous chapters, because it's such a fantastic letter. So the first one I want to pick out is in chapter 1. You don't have to go to it, but I'm just going to read them out. So chapter 1, verse 3, listen to this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's a fantastic verse. Let's go to chapter 2. We're going to go to verse 4 and 6. And Paul says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. It just gets better and better. It's fantastic. Let's go to... Chapter 3, let's pick one out here. But to each one of us, this is verse 7, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Just gets better and better. So let's go to chapter 4. We did chapter 4. Did I do chapter 3? Did I? Did I do that? Okay. And I've done chapter 4. So, amazing verses, incredible verses. This is one of my favourite books because the first three chapters is so rich with all the, the majesty and the kindness and the grace of God. And here we have in chapter 5, wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> I think God has got a, a sense of humour. <laughs> Talk about drawing the short straw. But then... Pads did want the, the best, most perfect husband to do this preach. <laughs> but we couldn't get him, so you got me instead. So anyway, it's been inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's in the Bible. We can't ignore it. So uh, I think we need to crack on. I think the first thing to say is thank God that verse 21 is there. Have a look at verse 21. Because I think it's the pivotal one, and I think it sets the tone and the context for what follows. It says, submit to one another. 
out of reverence for Christ. Let's just hold that verse in the back of our mind as we progress, because that is the key verse. Submit to one another. So if we can hold that, especially for the sisters, if you can just keep that in the back of your mind, you're not going to get too angry with me, okay? So let's, let's keep that in the back of our mind. Submit, that sets the tone and the context. Now, with this word submit, it can, understandably, carry with it some negative sort of impressions and preconceptions. And, you know, when I think of the word submit, it, 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 it leads me back to when I was a kid. It was a long time ago. When I was a kid, a little ruffian running around in old Coley, along with all the other little ruffians, the thing that we used to love to do is we loved to fight. We just loved it. And when we weren't fighting the neighbouring neighbourhood, you know, the boys from Kate's Grave and all the rest of it, we were honing our skills by having wrestling matches on the green. And I used to love wrestling. I used to just love all that, you know, getting in amongst it and all the rest of it and you know, fighting and twisting and turning. And the one thing about wrestling, you, I don't know, has anybody ever wrestled here? Not very, many, not very many fighters in this church, come on. Anyway, the one thing that I really loved about wrestling is when you won, you heard your opponent go, submit, submit. And that's when you got their arm around their neck and their leg up their back and all the rest of it. And, you know, some of these wrestling matches could take about five minutes or more. And it was a real sort of war of contrition. And the one thing that you never wanted to do was to say that word submit. I never wanted to say submit. No one wanted to do it. It was humiliating. It made you feel weak. And you'd do everything in your power not to do it, not to say those words. Well, I would suggest that the word submit here doesn't carry with it that sense at all. Not at all. Rather, this submission is to be both voluntary and mutual. And I would go so far as to even say embraced. Now, as I say, the submission that we're talking about here is mutual. And for reasons that are not too dissimilar in each case for both the wife and the husband. And that, I would suggest, is not only for matrimonial bliss, which we all want, obviously... But also, and I think this is even more important, to be a witness because it points to a deeper spiritual truth. It's a witness for those of us that are in the body of Christ, but it's also a witness for those that are coming into the church because a marriage like this is a really powerful symbol, not just in the sense that we have good marriages, but it points to a deeper spiritual truth. It points to Christ's relationship with us as him with the head. It's fair to say that as Paul, Paul Fulton, not St. Paul, pointed out during his preach that St. Paul is really using the latter half of his letter, and it's a letter, to show all the, all the incredible stuff outlined in the first half <coughs> Excuse me, is of no use to us really if we don't appropriate that by faith and then work it out in our everyday lives. This really, like some football matches, is a letter of two halves. To use Paul's phrase, Paul Fulton, not St. Paul, this, I really have to make that distinction, but Paul, you are a saint. Uh, No, theologically he is. Uh, To use Paul's phrase, this really is where the rubber hits the road. 
And our tyres are now beginning to burn a little bit. But I don't think it's time for a pit stop. So, why does the Apostle Paul feel the need to include this in his letter? I think we need to look at this because this will give us some idea as to how we can tease uh, what's relevant for us today out of it. Well, again, to give us some context, we do need to consider that the lot of a wife in that time and culture, in both the Greco-Roman and Jewish societies, were, to say the least, for women, not that great. In fact, women were treated abysmally. And I could go into a long list of all the different ways that men used to treat women back in those days, but we haven't got time for that. But it was abysmal. And in particular, Ephesus was an immoral city. And women were treated really badly in that city, because of the culture, the religious aspect of it, and all the rest of it. And understandably, women would have been, uh, you know, understood uh, had they not respected their husbands. But Paul now is trying to introduce, as it were, a new code of conduct into the Church of Christ. Because after all, people are getting saved, they're coming into the church, and as with our own day, we come in with all of our baggage... We come in with all our misconceptions, our preconceptions. We come in carrying all of the stuff of the culture that's around us. And this was no different in Paul's time. In fact, it was was a real issue. And Paul, the apostle, had to address this in the Church of Christ. Because obviously, you know, husbands and wives had to act towards each other in a way that was totally different to the prevailing culture. They had to do it as a witness to, to the love of Jesus. <clears throat> so, women would, as I said, <clears throat> have quite understandably not been inclined to respect their husbands, but a new code of conduct needs to be adopted that mirrors our own relationship with Christ. The wife submitting to her husband in everything is exactly as it should be in regard to our submission to Christ. Now, me and Lynn, have got a lot, we have a lot of fun with this verse, okay? You might not believe this, but this is one of our favourite verses, really. I read this to Lynn most evenings before we go to sleep at night, and, you know, it's, it's good to do that. But here's what we do. This is the little fun thing that we do with it. I always used to say to Lynn, Lynn, you know, I am the head of the house, you know, you need to remember that. I'm the head of the house. Now, obviously, this went on for a long time. <clears throat> and then the, the penny drops, and she said to me, <clears throat> yeah, but Chris, I'm the neck that turns the head. <laughs> so this is how this went on for quite some time. I said, <clears throat> okay, you're the neck that turns the head. <clears throat> this has gone on for 27 years, by the way. This is a long time. So, you know, it takes time to work these replies out. And then I realised... I realised, actually, the brain's in the head. Because <laughs> the, the neck can't turn without the head, can it? And the, the brain's in the head. So, we, we, you know, we have a little banter with this and a little bit of to and fro. But do we submit to Christ by being badly treated? Do we respect him because he imposes himself on us? I would say no. We do so... Because he loves us. In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says that he loved us before we loved him. 
And that's very key to understand for us fellas. We do so because he loves us and gave everything for us. Come on, we have to admit that when we come into the presence of Christ, when we really come into the presence of Christ, doesn't his love just melt us? It causes us to want to give him everything back in return. And fellas, this is our part. Now, I mentioned earlier about the submission being mutual, and you may have wondered at that, because the word isn't actually used in regard to the husband, but I think it's every bit as applicable. Why? Because for then it meant that the Christian man had to get out of his thinking that a woman was a second-rate citizen. He had to live differently. He had to forego the prevailing attitudes and submit to their wives, as do we by putting them first in everything, just as Jesus did for us. Now, it's probably a good idea at this juncture, guys, to remind ourselves what love is like. The world has all different ideas and concepts of love. You can fall in and out of love at the drop of a hat. And the world has all different kinds of ideas and concepts as to what marriage is. In fact, nowadays we have prenuptial contracts and all the rest of it. And that's just how the world sees marriage as a contract. But Christian marriage is not a contract, it's a covenant. And a covenant can only be broken by the stronger party. And God is the stronger party. And he doesn't break covenant. So for Paul, for the early church, for us... Marriage is a sacred thing, and men, we must play our part in this. We must understand, and I'm talking to myself here as much as I am anybody else, if not more so, because I'm not an expert. I don't have the perfect marriage. I don't love my wife the way that Christ loved the church, and that's my confession to you. You know, I come to you today with this message to be completely honest in weakness and in brokenness, So, you know, I'm not looking at anybody or pointing the finger at anyone. What I'm saying to everyone here, I'm applying completely to myself. But Paul says in his letter in 1 Corinthians, in that famous passage, let's look at it now, because it's good for us to remind ourselves, fellas in particular, what this really looks like. Paul says... He wants to show us the most excellent way. The most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. But listen to this, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. To love your wife as Christ loved the church, wow. There can be no higher calling. And I wonder 
What kind of witness would we guys be if we came even remotely near to that call? I wonder how many problems would be solved in our marriages if us men loved our wives something like that. Impossible, you might say. Yes, perhaps it is impossible. But if we make it our goal, I'd say it would be worth it. Remember, us men, St. Paul spends much more time in his letter admonishing us than he does the sisters. And I have to say that I'm speaking, like I said, every bit as much to myself as I am to you guys. And if you talk to Lynn at coffee time, she'd be only too happy to verify that. So, in closing, when we're coming into land, I always wanted to use that analogy. Because that's kind of like the preacher's thing, isn't it, you know? I don't know, when did that come into being? This coming into land business. But, you know... Yeah, good, good answer, yeah. But anyway, we're coming into land. We might have had a little bit of turbulence to begin with, but hopefully not too much. And we didn't have to get the oxygen masks out, so that's all good. Uh, I want to leave you uh, with what I think is the key word that makes this kind of marriage possible. And I want to turn once more to the book of Ephesians. And that key word is humility. Because I don't think that a wife could submit to her husband in everything without humility. And I don't think a husband can love a wife in the same way that Christ loved the church without humility. You see, in this world, it's so full of conflict. Everywhere you look, on the news, when you read your paper, there's conflict everywhere. We see black pitted against white. We see rich against the poor. We see east against west, right against left. We even see old against young. But I would want to say this, that in the house of God, let it never be husband against wife. It should never, ever be. There should be no conflict in the church of Christ. And humility is the key. Paul says in chapter 4, verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you, husbands, wives, that's not in there, I put that in there, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. I think that if we could display that kind of humility we would see marriages improved. We can. We can do that. And for those who are and yet to be married, love is the way. Because we have at our disposal the very power of the Godhead, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We do have that. It's the same power that Jesus gave to the 72 or the 70, depending on your version. But we won't go down there. The kingdom of God is, and always has been, a kingdom of power, not just of words. Power and dominion over darkness, over every sickness, over every disease, 
And that power rests in the name of Jesus. The name that we declare is the name above every other name. And the disciples returned with joy in our gospel passage when they told Jesus about how they got on. Even the demons submit to us in your name. That's the kind of submission I like. They're the only entities that we should stand on and make submit. You know, I've seen demons submit to me in the name of Jesus. But after 27 years of marriage, I've never managed it with Lynn. <laughs> this has been recorded, isn't it? <laughs> no, but to use the, the aeroplane analogy even more, because now that I've started down this road, I want to sort of get the most out of it. We're, we're touching down now. We're on the runway. It's, it's a good landing, I think, so far. Uh, Let's pray that our final destination will be pleasing to God and will lead us towards marriages that will be pleasing in his sight. Amen. Amen.